Thank you, Mark, and thank you for your prayers, and thank you for the way you've led the, us in worship this morning. It was great to have the kids involved, um, just fantastic to hear them sharing their testimony of what they're learning, their testimony of what God's doing in their heart, and how they're even living out their faith. I remember many years ago reading that if children, young children, or if children are going to come to faith, this is a very uh, brief summary, that they just need to uh, feel safe and loved when they're preschool age. At school age, when you're teaching them more, they need to uh, enjoy being part of the community, enjoy being part of what they're learning. And then as teenagers, they need to be able to question and challenge and sometimes even sound like they've walked away from faith but still be accepted and loved. And then they take on a faith of their own. And so it's just great to hear the kids this morning and and to see them involved uh, in the service this morning. I want to bring greetings from Verdun. Things are going crazy over there with new people and just things that are happening there and with, your, with yourselves as well, processing and working through what God's saying to us as Hills Baptist and uh, particularly at Verdun as in terms of the we're processing and exploring what God's saying about the opportunity with Mount Barker. So appreciate your ongoing prayers uh, together as we explore that. And also, it's just great that Mark can be over there and uh, sharing with the people at Verdun. We uh, we just see him every now and then, and it's just great uh, when, he, when he's able uh, to join with us. So as we uh, continue this morning in the series on the road to Calvary, uh, we are looking particularly at the room in Jerusalem uh, where uh, Jesus met with his disciples, and we'll come to that in a moment. But I, one of the things that uh, is very significant is that... Uh, Memories are created in particular locations and places. And I know as a family, um, and Rebecca did the same thing when our kids, particularly were primary age and into their early teen years, we would go away with another family who our daughters, uh, my daughters and Rebecca's kids had, were friends with. We were friends with their parents. Our location was we would go up to the Flinders. Our holidays always cost food money and petrol money and usually another something for the camping. And we would find a location. We rarely went into campsites. We'd go, go bush somewhere and uh, set up camp for four or five days, occasionally a week, have a shower when we got home. And uh, we would uh, just build memories and just have fun and relax and read and hike and uh, just chill out. And our kids... Uh, Remember those times. Memories were created in relationship with other people, with their friends, uh, for us just being right away from everything and doing things together. And, and those memories and in, what, in the location is also very significant where, where we, and we all have uh, memories. And maybe this morning you might be, I'd, you, you might have a memory. Uh, you might, I might ask you the question, what's the most significant memory you have, either good or bad? And where did that take place? And the location and place is uh, something that was very significant in terms of uh, Jesus' ministry. And he, uh, just the fact that God himself came and uh, dwelt and lived amongst us and came to where we are uh, is a statement um, that uh, when God becomes flesh, it acknowledges that God loves places and loves the particular The small things can be very significant. The places we go, the things we do, and those things can have significance. And this morning we're looking at um, the place and the room where the greatest memory of all time uh, was created. 
the upper room uh, where Jesus went with his disciples was a relational place of intimacy and connection with friends and disciples. Memories were created and, uh, and these memories uh, will usually stay with us uh, for uh, a lifetime. And this morning, uh, as we look at where Jesus came to the upper room, we see that he had a particular purpose that shaped everything he did. There are many, many things, many, many people that he interacted with, but there was an overarching purpose that shaped uh, his life and actions and where he went and, and what, what uh, he uh, did when he came uh, to this earth. And on his journey uh, to the upper room, as he came into Jerusalem, Mark's already begun the journey on the road and shared some of the things that took place as he travelled along the road. And as he came uh, into Jerusalem um, with the purpose of giving his life for us, uh, we, we are aware um, that uh, his, his purpose was to give himself uh, for us. In, in Luke it says that, but while they were marvelling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, meaning uh, that he would eventually uh, be crucified on, uh, on the cross. And the purpose behind that was to declare, as the children have shared with us this morning, to show the love of God for all of humanity, to give his life and to show how love can be expressed and to do all that was necessary uh, to bring us back into a relationship with God. John 3.17, For God did not send his Son into the world to judge and condemn the world, that is to initiate the final judgment, but that the world might be saved through him. And in that process, both in our own lives and in the life of Jesus, as memories are created, as something purposeful is done, there's always joys and sorrows. The, the songs we've been singing this morning reminds us that there is always uh, uh, a mixture of joy and sorrow in the midst of life. Even as uh, we would head off on our holidays, there would be times you might blow a tyre, you, you end up being caught on the road and, and have to sort something out on the way. I remember one pastor who was my supervisor for a year when I was in college, he was vulnerable enough to tell me, he said, look, when my wife and I go away for a couple of weeks holiday, if we're going to Queensland, the first two days we have a really good argument and get everything out and then once we get there, we, we enjoy our holiday. And, uh, and, and when we get to destinations, I remember, you know, you're all excited about arriving, uh, where we're going to set up camp. I remember one time we went up uh, near the river and it was getting got dark on us, a thunderstorm hit just as we arrived. So it was getting dark, thunderstorm hit. We thought we were in a beautiful, uh, clean area to set up a tent, but every time you took a step, a wad of mud that thick would stick to your shoes. So we had to set up camp uh, for something really good and fun, but we had the challenge of just setting up in the middle of this mud and trying to keep it out of the tent. And so the good and bad is all part of what happens uh, when memories are created. And when Jesus uh, came uh, into uh, Jerusalem, as he entered, we, we have the triumphal entry where people praised him and acknowledged 
and hailed him as, as king of the Jews. But then we also, as he came into Jerusalem, he went into the temple and in his rage and anger at the sin of the religious people for turning the place of prayer into a, a den of commercial activity, he overturned the tables. And then the, he, he met Zacchaeus and went to his home uh, in the course of coming into Jerusalem to meet with his disciples in the upper room. The Pharisees were trying, they were asking him questions, trying to trap him with something that he said so that they could uh, um, destroy his ministry and his credibility. And then just before he goes into the upper room, he foretells the trials that would come. The destruction of the temple, we talked about wars and persecution. The destruction of Jerusalem, people would be fainting in fear at what was happening in the world because of mankind's sin the lesson of the fig tree where the warning about bearing fruit in showing God's character in our lives and warning to be alert and live as those expecting his coming. We've sung worship songs that acknowledge some of those things uh, this morning. So as he entered the upper room, there was both joy and sorrow in, in, in what was happening on the journey. And I think that's true of our lives, isn't it? We can acknowledge good things, the joy of, of, of just what life can be, but also some more than others seem to cop a lot more, but then there's also the sorrows that are part of the journey. And for Jesus, as he was here with an overarching purpose to give his life for us, there was joy and sorrow in his journey as well. And as he arrives in the upper room, again, we see both good and uh, uh, challenging things happening. It was in that upper room where Judas quietly slips out to betray Jesus. Something really terrible was happening in that upper room in terms of the betrayal of Judas, uh, Judas betraying uh, Jesus. Um, and the disciples were arguing about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. Here they are with God himself in full humanity sitting with them and they're there, immature enough, which we would never do, I'm sure, be arguing about who was going to be greatest, who's going to have the most important place in this new kingdom that Jesus had come to inaugurate. And that at the same time, in this upper room where the most important memory of all time was created, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. The challenges, the maturity, the immaturity of those who were with Jesus at the time we're all part of where something amazingly good was taking place. And it's true of church life. Churches aren't perfect. There's good and bad happening at different times. But God's overarching purpose for any congregation, for any group of congregations, for his church worldwide is being fulfilled. The gates of hell won't prevail against what God wants to do. And in the midst of that, just as in Jesus' life and purpose, so too as his children we walk the journey with the good and bad as God fulfills his purpose. But let's look for a moment that as he sat in that room, he took two things that were very ordinary, very normal. The loaf of bread, the cup of wine, and he's, he instituted the Lord's, what we call the Lord's Supper. And I'd like, it was at the time of the Passover, and I'd like to read from Luke 22, the passage where the most powerful memory the most impactful memory of all time was instituted. The, in Luke 22, starting at verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover <coughs> for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where 
will you have us prepare it? And he said, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar uh, of water uh, will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room uh, furnished uh, and and prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. Uh, and they prepared the Passover. And then it goes on to say, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of this fruit Uh, of the vine until the kingdom of God comes and he took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them and said this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and likewise the cup after they had eaten saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood but behold the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table for the son of man uh, goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them uh, could be who was going to do this. As they ate the Passover, Jesus took very common things, the bread and the cup, and said, whenever you eat and drink, remember me. And one of the things that as I would have been great to share communion this morning, but in one sense it's good that we are not because if, if we all go from this place, and it might sound like a very low theology of communion, but I think there was an element of what Jesus said, every time you eat a meal, every time you take a glass of wine or a glass of drink and, and some bread, remember me. Every time you're at the table eating a meal, remember what I've done for you. How powerful is that? It's not some religious act where we had to suddenly create a ritual in in the gathered community of God's people. Jesus said, every time you do this, remember me, remember what I've done for you, remember my love, remember my grace, remember the sacrifice that I made for you. Every now and then we'll have guests, we'll have a wine, there might be some bread on the table and I'll just be quietly to myself thinking, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And I might pause for a moment and just grab a bit of bread just to myself that nobody else would notice, just saying... Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And so maybe one of the things we can do is not think, well, we'll do communion. Great, we need to do it how we do it when we gather. But let's perhaps take it to another level where every time we eat, every time we have a drink, let's remember the one who has given his life for us. And the communion was instituted during the Passover, which is the most important festival, the the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which the Jewish people, as we know, as they... They would constantly remember <clears throat> the exodus from, from Egypt, how they put the blood on the door so the angel of death would protect uh, their children. And then as they were in such a hurry to leave, there was no time to put the yeast in the bread. They just needed to bake the bread and eat it and, uh, and, and remember their exodus from Egypt and how God had protected them uh, both from the judgment that the Egyptians experience but also delivered them from slavery in Egypt and so this Passover comes uh, um, and when we uh, this Passover that Jesus was celebrating in the upper room when he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper 
He was, uh, taking, he was partaking of the elements that were part of that historic memorial, um, I'll use the word, uh, act that the Jewish people had been practising throughout generations since they had left Egypt. And it's good to remember, as it is for us, that the Passover for the Jewish people was commanded uh, and the reason was very clear in Exodus 12, 14 to 17, it says, And this day shall become a memorial for you, and you shall observe it as a festival for the Lord for your generations, as an eternal decree uh, shall you observe it. For seven days you shall eat we just do it for about five, two minutes in our services. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove the leaven from your homes and you shall guard the unleavened bread because on the very day I will take you out of the land of Egypt. You shall observe this day for your generations as an eternal decree. So it was very clear why they t went through eating the bread and uh, drinking uh, the wine at, at the Passover. But it was also to be very clear that it was a teaching opportunity for those of you with children. Um, it's something as we take the Lord's Supper, it's a great teaching opportunity. In Deuteronomy 6, 20 to 23, it says, And if your son or daughter asks you in the future, saying, What are the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments that the Lord our God commanded you? You will say to your son, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord gave signs and wonders, great and harmful, against Egypt, against Pharaoh, and against all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out of there to bring us in, to give us the land that he promised to our fathers. I remember at Norton Summit when I was pastoring there, there was an older person in the congregation who was really troubled that some families would let their children take communion and other families would say, no, you need to wait till you're older and been baptised and then you can take communion. And my personal attitude was one where it was a meal that we shared, its significance was there, it was up to each family what they did, whether their children took communion. He wanted to make it so that we were what people would call closed communion and you only took it when you were one of the in crowd. And, uh, and I remember just saying it's a great opportunity. And he was very concerned that the parents of the children who wouldn't uh, allow uh, their kids to take communion and got annoyed because other kids were allowed to. I just said it's a great conversation for both parents, whichever side of the, whichever way they were functioning around communion, to talk to their kids, explain what it was about and give the reasons why you're doing what you're doing, whichever way you had chosen uh, to do it. That it was a great teaching opportunity to have that conversation at a level, whatever, whether it's three or four or five or seven, eight, nine or ten or a, usually teenagers are past the, uh, just having the same uh, concern that someone else is taking communion. But that whole conversation, it's a time for us as we partake in the Lord's Supper either in a gathered community or in some way your kids notice that you are remembering who Jesus is when you're just having a normal meal. It's a great teaching opportunity. But Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And as Jesus, if you like, set in place the memorial to remember what would be the greatest act of all time where he gave his life on Good Friday and rose again uh, on <clears throat> On Easter Sunday, he was inaugurating 
a kingdom that would challenge every other kingdom uh, on earth. In the context of the Roman Empire, based on power, wealth and greed, the kingdoms of this world, which uh, we see manifest all over the place, and that's why there's conflict, because everybody's focused on their own power, their own wealth and their own greed and making themselves great, and so there will be wars and conflicts as we continue to do that. But Jesus came and inaugurated another kingdom, which the cup and the bread remind us of the, the servant king who gave his life for us. He was inaugurating a kingdom based on love and grace and generosity and servanthood and seeking the good of your fellow man, not protecting your own well-being. In the kingdom of God, love not power lies at the centre. To be great was to be concerned for the least and to serve the interest of others. Inhabitants of God's kingdom are called to love their enemies to pray for those who persecute them, to forgive each other's debts and to share what they had with one another. Philip Sheldrake in his book, No Home Like Place, says the church is called to be an ethical space, making place for the fullness of all, the, all things and all people. The Eucharist or the Lord's Supper calls us to embodiment, to become our words of faith and promise uh, and, promise and act them out in the world. To hear some of the children share this morning it was just so, it was so natural for them to be saying, because of what I understand of God's heart and God's love, they may not have used those words, but they were expressing their desire to live out and do the things that express something of God's kingdom. And so that's the intention of whatever we, we remember, whatever we know of who God is, and the, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, where, however you take it, points us to these things. And it challenges our desires. It challenges what we would want to do to build our own kingdoms. It confirms our dependence on God because nothing we do can earn our salvation. It's all been done. Every time we eat the bread and drink the cup and remember what Jesus has done, we're reminded of our dependence on God as individuals, as a congregation, as churches, as God's people. And it checks our devotion. We had the Jesus was portrayed by one of his disciples. And yet, as we take communion, we are challenged about our own devotion to God. And so I want to leave you with a challenge this morning. As we think of the upper room, where the greatest memory of all time, where a simple act was instituted by Jesus to remind us of the greatest act in history, where God himself came and dwelt among us and proclaimed his love on the cross, and gave himself for us and then rose again by his spirit to indwell our hearts that we ask ourselves this question as we go. How is this memory shaping your life? How is this memory of who Jesus is and what he's done shaping your overarching purpose that shapes how you function in your family, how you function in your relationships in your, with your friends, how you function in your job if you're uh, blessed to be working and how you relate to your co-workers and the people. If you're an employer, how you treat your employees. If, if you're an employee, how you function in the workplace, what your attitude is. I ask you this question as you remember the living God becoming flesh, living amongst us, coming to a specific place and time in history, giving himself for us that we might be in communion and fellowship with God, I ask you again, as you go this morning, to reflect on how is this memory shaping 
your life and purpose. Let me pray as we hand back to Mark to close the service this morning. Father, we thank you that place is important and Lord, you came to this place called the earth and you lived in Palestine in one particular country and Lord, you came and you gave yourself on a cross and Lord, you gave us a specific act where we can be reminded because we could so easily forget of how great your love and mercy and grace is. I pray, Father, that as we reflect on who you are, what you've done, how you demonstrated your love and what it speaks to about the kingdom you want to build in this world, I pray, Father, that you will speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit to show us what simple act that we can do to express your kingdom in our family or in the workplace, in the life of the church, in the wider community and in the wider world. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would convict us in a positive way, energise us to make us want to do the things that reflect who you are and your kingdom, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.